Good morning. Okay, the reading for today is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Nick. Well, good morning. Um, I'm Trey Freely. I'm the next-gen pastor here. So I oversee sixth grade through uh, young adults. So that's 18 to 20s, somewhere in there. Well, Frank's not here this week, so I'm filling in for him. Frank isn't here because he's visiting his grandson, Jamie, which, yes, all the awes. We're so happy he gets to hang out with them and um, bless him like that. So he'll be back next week, and we're going to go through... um, So. We've been in this countercultural conviction series. Last week, if you were here, you got to hear Justin preach, and he did an incredible job walking us through what the Bible says about gender. And then next week, Frank's going to take us through what the Bible says about sex, the biblical sexual ethic. He he does want me to say, though, that he's putting a PG-13 rating on it. just say, when, oh, no, no, we're good. I was going to say, I'll say it with my chest. Okay. Um, you know, they used to, just side note, they used to like measure your chest a number of years ago for you to become a pastor because they thought the size of your chest mattered so that you could project more. And if it was, I'm serious, if it wasn't thick enough, you didn't get to go to seminary. So I know, but yeah. <laughs> so next week we're going through the biblical sexual ethic and Frank um, I say that because didn't, they didn't have microphones. I don't know if we, okay. But <laughs> next week, Frank's going, oh, there it is again. Um, sorry. Uh, next week, Frank's, this, I'm going to get through this, I promise you. Uh, we're going through the biblical sexual ethic. Frank says there's a PG-13 rating, so if you bring your kids that are under 13, just be sure to check them into the kids' ministry. We have a spot for them. Um, but... Uh, Let's pray real quick. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray your blessing on today. Um, and I also just pray, Lord, that you would bless um, the unorthodox service that we have today. Uh, that it would be your name that's lifted high. Um, that all of us would look more like you because of what you're doing in our church. Lord, I pray your spirit would move in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, so like I said, this is going to be a little bit unorthodox today. I want to give faces. I want to start today by giving you some faces so as to give reference to what we're going to talk about today. Um, The first thing we're going to do is we're going to watch a video, and um, then we're going to have an interview, and then we're going to go into a small sermon. The interview is of one of our ministry, we have three main ministry partners, um, and the video is going to be going through one of our ministry partners, which is Hope Women's Center. And I'm super excited for us because I don't, I don't know that many of us know exactly what goes on there or exactly how that ministry is run, but they're a close, close partner with us. Um, and we have many people in our church who serve with them. Um, and then we're going to talk about alongside ministries, and I'm going to invite somebody up who's been serving for a number of years with them um, for some time. And alongside ministries, one of our prison ministries in the Valley that Frank's been a part of for over 20 years. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about, just right now, foster care, kinship, and adoption. So all redemption, we love foster care and adoption ministries. Love it. It is practicing the gospel. We are all adopted sons, unless you're Jewish, but we're all adopted sons and daughters of the Father. And um, so we're, I mean, foster care and adoption is a close one to our hearts. And so... Um, if you want more information about foster care, kinship, and adoption, we have trainings that are going on at different redemptions over the next few weeks. 
um, and you're invited to that. If you want that information, you can email me or you can email uh, Andrea, and then we'd love to get you set up on that. But as it is, let's start and we'll watch this video uh, about Hope Women's. Let's take a look. I would narrate it, but <laughs> dang, we're working on that. All right, let's show the video after the interview. Let's do that. Okay, please welcome up Tom. So this is Tom Linton. We've gotten to be in an RC together for a while, and then also, Tom's been serving with Alongside Ministries. Um, so, welcome. Thank you. Um, could you uh, share with us, what is Alongside Ministries and what do you do with them? Okay, so um, Alongside Ministries is a local Christian organization that works with prisoners who are going to be released. So, they have a program. They work um, with a prisoner for several months when he's still in prison. Um, he or she, and then when they're released, then there's also some additional um, part of the program. And uh, uh, my focus, the, what I've been doing is volunteering as a mentor, so that's a, a part of what they do. And I, I just think, uh, you know, the uh, Alongside really has quite a holistic ministry. I mean, they, you know, they really have a strong spiritual component, but they also address the physical needs and um, relationships and that kind of thing, too. So, um, yeah. That's Good. It. Good. Thank you. So, um, of this specific group, um, mm -hmm. what are the challenges that they, that they face? Well, I, I kind of, I mean, there's a lot of challenges, but I kind of sort of break it down into three. Like, okay. first of all, spiritual. I think, uh, you know, when a person has been in prison, especially for a long time, and they come out, they're really kind of building a new life again. And uh, I mean, that has a lot, of, a lot of issues because they're dealing with the past. There may be um, broken relationships, um, destructive lifestyles, drug use, all of those kind of things that are in their past that they kind of have to deal with when they come out. And, you know, being in prison, you um, have to be somewhat protective of yourself. So it's hard to be trusting of other people and open. So that's kind of something, a challenge. And, and, you know, I think just finding God's purpose. Uh, you know, when you've been in prison, you come out. Okay, you've got to figure out what to do. You know, you need to try to find a job. But what is the purpose? You know, what, what is God calling? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a big thing as a spiritual. But then societal. You know, for someone who has a criminal record, you've got a felony on your record, um, it's hard to find a place. And what I mean by that is a place to live, a place to work, or a, a community, a supportive community. So all of those things are really challenges. And then finally, there's sort of the physical, more practical things like having an ID. Um, you know, if you, especially if you've been in prison a long time, you might not have an ID. You gotta get an ID, a bank account, a phone, food stamps, um, health insurance, transportation, all of those things are, you know, challenges. So, yeah. yeah. So of those challenges and, and sort of the needs that they may have, why would they need someone like yourself to be serving in that ministry? Um, I, well, I, I, I think the sort of a mentor, what a mentor can do is, first of all, um, talk, pray, Bible study. You know? So, you know, this is a, it's a transition period, and they're really going through a lot of changes, and they... Uh, you, you just need to be able to, to, you know, work through a lot of issues. That's one thing as a yeah. mentor. Um, not that I have the answers, but I can just be there. And, you know, I think that alongside, the name is perfect. It's more like you're there to be alongside somebody. So then also, you know, sort of being supportive. Um, and then just helping with practical needs. You yeah. know, giving a ride to the uh, grocery store or whatever. So yeah. all those things. So yeah. It seems like a, it's a lot of the stuff that revolves around having a relationship with them. Yes. Okay. It's about relationships. Yeah. So then in this demographic, can you speak towards specific vulnerability? Um, I know we've hit challenges and needs, but can we talk a little bit about how they might be vulnerable? Yeah. So, I mean, the, I think the most obvious one is that our society views anybody with a record with deep suspicion. 
I mean, mm -hmm. anything you want to do, uh, your record follows you. And I think that's, that's a real vulnerability because then you're, you're not in a place of power at all. You, you are, you're, you're very vulnerable there. Um, another thing is that when guys come out from prison, they often encounter an environment that is very tempting to fall back into the old um, patterns. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that's another vulnerability. And finally, I think, uh, you know, some of the lessons that were learned in prison, you know, the sort of behaviors and those kind of things, uh, that they can cause them to be vulnerable in our society. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, my last question is this. What, what could people do to help uh, alongside ministry? And, okay. and uh, maybe if we were like, yeah, you know, I'm interested in maybe stepping in that ministry, what, what would you say? Um, well, I think, first of all, I'd like to point out that, uh, you know, prison ministry can seem like a real daunting thing to be involved with, but alongside has a lot of um, experience. They, they've been doing it a long time, and they have, a, they have a framework you can plug into, so you can get training, you can learn, and there's a lot of different ways you can be involved, different levels. Um, so the one is the mentorship, which I just have talked about. And you, can, you would be assigned a, you know, a prisoner, and you'd go visit them in prison for some months, and then also um, meet with them once they'd come out. That's one thing, mentorship. Okay. Um, Bible teachers, they're always looking for um, Bible teachers either longer term or sometimes substitutes. They have several venues where that happens. Um, the other thing is just to take a dinner over there. Um, for example, the men's ministry has... On Wednesdays, they have a dinner and then Bible study. And, you know, the various church groups or individuals will take food for 12 to 15 people. And you can go do that and hang out and be with them in their Bible study. It's, it's, really, it's a really neat thing to do. Um, or you can be a, a donor. They do have financial needs, you know, so that's another thing. And um, also, I'd just like to mention that today... Um, they're having what they call a graduation. So someone who's gone through the program. So they have about five people that have gone through the entire program, and they're having a graduation uh, celebration today at 1.30 at First Christian Church, which is on um, 7th Avenue in Glendale. So that's a great way just to see what it's like. Uh, yeah. And you can hear... Uh, some mentors, but also the, some of the um, graduates talk about their experience, and it can be very moving experience. So yeah. anyway. So you, um, just to clarify, you, you uh, volunteer with the men in Longside yes. Ministry, but Longside right. Ministry also has women. Right. In a, okay. So they have both a women's ministry and a men's. Right. right. Okay. So awesome. Thank you so much for coming up. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tom said that he'll be around after each service. So if you have any questions about that or you want to get some more info on the graduation and you want to come and join and maybe just check it out, everybody's welcome. Um, and he'd love to talk with you. So go ahead and welcome him. Thank you so much for being here. All righty. So now we're going to hit this video, Hope Women's Center. I've promised, and now it's coming. Okay, here we go.
So that's Hope Women's Center, and if you were here this summer, then you got to be a part of how we were uh, being able to give all these donations so that we could stock their shelves, so that they could take care of women in our community that have needs. Um, a couple of those, we had one month where we were giving back to school supplies for kids. We gave food, and we were able to donate a bunch of uh, toiletries. It was a really good time. If you remember, last year, we were able to hold a drive-through fundraiser for them, uh, and because... COVID shot their fundraising, and so we were able to bless them. And honestly, I have to say, I want to take a moment and just say this about our church. I'm so proud to be a part of this congregation. We have one of the most generous churches, and you guys have done an incredible job of showing the gospel, living the gospel by the way that we give. And um, I just have to say, you guys encourage me greatly with the ways that you guys um, are selfless and cheerful in your giving. Okay, so like I said, today is about the vulnerable. This topic today is special to us because the people we're talking about are special to us. But before we get into that, each week we come up here and we get to hear about the good news. We get to hear about the good news of the gospel, and we also get to hear about the good news of Jesus' teachings. The good news of the gospel, eternal salvation, life with Christ today, the fullness of Christ in us, and also the teachings that Jesus gave on how what he says and what he speaks, those who do them are like the men and women who build their house on the rock. The good news of how what Jesus calls us to is better than what the world and what culture calls us to. Um, When I first preached, I actually was preaching in this series I know many of us have heard this. I preached on the authority of God's word, and then um, the whole church shut down, and everybody stopped, and I was like, man. So we're, we're getting good reps here without that being the ending point here. But uh, what's cool is Frank got to kick us off again sort of on how Jesus and his word are the, the authority for us. Two weeks ago, if you were here, you got to hear how it's not culture that determines these things. But rather, in the swaying like the wind that culture is, God's word is our steadfast rock. And so today, as we talk about the vulnerable, we're talking about what the Bible says about them. But if you recognize, a lot of people, it's not countercultural to say that there's a group that is vulnerable, you know? And it's not really countercultural to say, yeah, they need help. But the countercultural part here is how they're viewed and what it calls us to. What do we do? Those are the two countercultural things that we're going to be talking about. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew 25, and we'll jump right in. Uh, Matthew 25, we're going to start in verse 31. The reading started in verse 35, and we'll work our way up to that. Uh, Verse 31. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right. The sheep are um, another, uh, an allegorical term for the believers in Christ, those in Christ. So he'll put the sheep on his right. And the goats who are unbelievers, those who are not his... On the left, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What we're reading about here, just the setting, this is the last day. This is the end time that Jesus is referring to. This is, Jesus is about to talk about what matters to Jesus in the last day. There's a lot of things in our lives that matter to us, that keep us up at night, that we get anxious over. There's a lot of things that matter to us that Jesus isn't going to rebuke you on in the last day. But there are some things that matter to Jesus that you did. When we meet Jesus face to face, which will happen whether you're a believer or not a believer, we do give an account, but Romans 8.1, I do want to remember this. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
So as we walk into this, I just want us to hear there's an urgency in this, and there's also a warning in this. And so um, we'll read into that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but let's continue. What does Jesus say matters on the last day? So I'll enter, these people will enter into the kingdom on his right. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What's cool about what Jesus just did is he identified himself as the least. What you did to me. And then he also referred to the least of these as my brothers. In the, in the Greek here, when it says my brothers, it's not in the vocative, which is a case that's like I'm speaking to you. Hey, or I say your name. That's the vocative. Instead, this is in the genitive case, which is that it's describing something. What it's describing is the least of these. So he's referring to the least as his brothers, his family. What we're talking about today is the least. Uh, So what matters to Jesus in the last day is that people in need are cared for by God's people. That people in need are cared for by God's people. I see three main things in this text. The first, it is filled with love. Active love. I also see a priority, and I also see proximity. The first, love. There is this time Jesus is teaching, and then one of these attorneys, these lawyers, comes up to him and tries to catch him to say something wrong so that they can ridicule him. And he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What's the, what's, what's, what's the one thing I should focus on more than anything else? Jesus being the wonderful God, man that he is, he says, love God with everything and love people. Love God and love people. I'm sure some people are like, wait a minute, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. But then if you think further, on this rests all of the law. If we love God and we love people, and that's the main thing, we wouldn't be sinning against our brother. We wouldn't be sinning against God. So, he says, love God and love people. This is the main thing, and we want to keep the main thing the main thing. Over and over, God's word talks about how loving somebody is an active expression. Not simply an affection, but an active expression. To love someone is to care for and meet their physical needs, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs. But when someone has a need, to meet it. This is what Christians do. We make love the main thing. In fact, James 2, 15 and 16 says, If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So it's not just in word, but in deed, that we would, in our action, love the people around us. And in so doing, being that we love God by loving his people. The second thing, well, so for us to love well, though, we should both have compassion and love. Compassion to care about them, to care about the least, and love to care for them. We want to care about them, and we want to care for them. The priority, though, that I see in this, the second thing I see in this, is that Jesus prioritizes the least. Man, I'm going I'm to say a statement here that I'm sure we have all heard, and it could not be further from the truth. God helps those who help themselves. We've all heard that. Guess what? This doesn't say that. It says quite the opposite. It says something more like God helps those who can't help themselves. 
That's the God that we serve. Helps those who cannot help themselves. Jesus prioritizes the least. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is a weird thing to say often, but if you were Satan, wouldn't you want to take something beautiful like that? God helps those who can't help themselves and switch it to be something totally counter, counterintuitive that it might take people from what God's truth is and instill pride. No, you've got to help yourself first. I'm glad the Lord doesn't see us like that. But the least of these are those that are vulnerable, those that have needs and cannot meet those needs. They need help. Those are the people we're speaking of. Some who fit this group of people are the unborn, the orphans, the widows, the sojourners. And I realize sojourners, if that word is, I mean, if it's not a band, we think of it as a band. We don't really use that as like a normal term. So I'm going to use a couple other terms that might fit this description. Transients, homeless people who don't have a home and are wandering. Some of these people are foreigners. Again, unless you watch like that 70s show, that's not really a, a word that you use often, foreigners. But immigrants, refugees, they have needs. Ethnically marginalized, the poor, the incarcerated, those who are mentally challenged, those who are physically challenged. We should care that these people are cared for. So I see that there's love in this passage. I see that there's priority for the least. And then I also see proximity. Notice the words that Jesus uses. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. You welcomed me. You clothed me. You visited me. You came to me. There's this natural proximity, this firsthand proximity that the people who are doing the action of loving, meeting these people in need face-to-face, that that would be God's people. Those are who he identifies as his sheep, the ones who are, are in the trenches doing, smelling like the people, caring for the people, interacting with the people. The tough thing here is to sit with um, the challenge that it poses. Because it does not only matter that we prioritize these people. It does not only matter that they're cared for, but it matters that they're cared for by God's people. And I just, why might that be? So keep your finger tabbed here on Matthew 25, because we'll come back to it. But flip to the right a few books, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, the book of prominence, and then 1 Corinthians. There you are. We just started doing these Bible verse songs with Presley. They're so silly. <laughs> they get, like, get stuck in your head, and it's like the worst rhyme, but you're like, ah, it's still God's word. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's better. It beats Baby Shark, so. <laughs> okay, 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're going to be, and we're going to start in verse 12. It says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Now skip down to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. So why might it be that we... It matters that we are taken care of and caring for and face-to-face with these, have that proximity. Why does that matter? Because we're one body. And as we do ministry, we're calling people to Christ. 
which would then put them in our family. One body that he would even say those who seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. We need each other. A good, uh, when you read God's word, a good practice is to look behind what the text says and then look in front of what the text says. So if we do that in 1 Corinthians and we look at the, the heading of the passage before it, it says spiritual gifts. That passage right before it is talking about the different things that you offer the church. It's talking about the diversity in the church, how people are different, they offer different things, and then it goes in after that into unity through love, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard it. So we have it um, coming before unity, coming after diversity, and then meshing the two in this text. The significance of that is talking about how we're one, how we are different, how we have different things that we offer the church. Some have uh, different resources they can offer the church, but all of us are one body, regardless of what we can offer. But also, I just want to say this. Um, It should be enough that Jesus calls us to care for the least. But every time Jesus calls us to something, it benefits us. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's inconvenient. Sometimes there's fear involved with getting into things, but it always benefits us. Sometimes it's just not in the benefits that we're used to receiving. It's not always and most likely won't be financial benefit, different types of benefit. But it does benefit us. And in one sense, we're all vulnerable. Sin has affected the whole world. So we all have needs. We're all vulnerable. And in another sense, there's people who have needs and cannot meet those needs. So there are still some more vulnerable. And I realize there's relativity here. In the U.S., I've been... So I worked as a medic on the streets in Phoenix for four years. And I got to run to all the projects downtown, well, South Phoenix... West Phoenix. I've seen it firsthand. I've posted in places that were so harsh neighborhoods that people would just roll up with gunshots and then say, hey, I don't know what to do, but I can't go to the hospital. I'm not going to the hospital. So I've been in it in Phoenix. And when I lived in Kenya, I also got to see the slums in Kenya. And let me tell you, the poor looks very different there. It's different. I recognize there's relative when we put anybody in a box and say they're the poor. There's, it's always relative. Wherever you find yourself in this spectrum of need, we are all called to care for those in need. So it's not a game of victim Olympics. Who's more victim? Who's more needy? Who's more? It's not that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Yet, we're also called to receive it, too. The body gives and receives. It's one body. And I just want to say, regardless of where we are on that, need, on that needy spectrum, Because we all have needs. Wherever we are, we're all called to give. We're all called to be a part of of serving in that area. This is good news for us. There's three main things I see that is good news for us in this. It identifies us. It encourages us. And it protects us. It identifies us with Jesus. Jesus also not only identifies himself with these people who are the least, but he also perfectly displayed what it is to care for the least, which is huge. So it identifies us with Christ. It encourages us. Talk to anybody in a alongside ministry. We have a lot of people in our congregation who serve with them. Talk to anybody in our alongside ministry, and they'll tell you that there's nothing like it. It encourages you in your faith to be around what God is doing in these really tough times with people who have had everything stripped from them and their first... Uh, flinch is to go, God, where do I go? I can tell you that's not my first flinch. My first flinch is, okay, what do I got to do? I'm very me. I can handle it. I'll just get her done. But their first flinch is, God, what do we do? And that dependence on Christ is a sweet thing. And we get to see that and be a part of that. And the last thing it does is it protects us. It protects us from pride. 
Like I said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's do everything we can to remove ourselves from pride. Let's not make much of ourselves, but also protects us from the idol of comfortability and the idol of safety. Comfort and safety are good things, but we often make idols out of them. There's a lot of things that are good, but we want to take them in the right doses. And so when we get to serve the poor, when we get to be a part of loving those people in our community, it protects us from the idol of comfort because it's going to get uncomfortable. When you see people taking advantage of the system, which I saw a ton, I ran on some of the same patients just because they wanted a sandwich. It's going to get uncomfortable naturally. It's not only just going to be uncomfortable, but there's going to be moments where we're relying on God to be what protects us, not our distance from them. So often, though, we use our comfort, though, as a, as a gauge. I don't, I'm not really comfortable with that, so that must not be good. I'm not really comfortable with that. I don't like it. And so we use our comfort level as a gauge on whether something is good or bad, whether something is right or wrong. And I'm telling you, that's a horrible gauge. Because if we think about it, so many things are so good for us that require us to get uncomfortable. I think about hitting the gym, you get a little uncomfortable. I think about eating healthy, and you're looking at Panda Express, and you're like, that's uncomfortable. I think about those social events that were made to be, in the students, we just got to talk about this, that where we're made to be relational. And so it's good for us to be in relationship with people. And there's times that we don't want to engage in relationship, but it's good for us. There's a lot of things that are good for us that require us to get uncomfortable. Getting up early to have your wonderful coffee. It's uncomfortable to get out of bed, but then you get to sip that sweet coffee. Often we use our comfort as a gauge, and we should not. Instead, we should embrace that which God says is good. Embrace it, not just accept it, not just tolerate it, but embrace it and grab it so hard. Embrace that which God says is good, even when it makes us uncomfortable. Knowing and trusting in not our comfort gauge, but in God's promises. Because when we do what God has called us to, we build our house on the rock. When we do what God has called us to, it benefits us greatly. Not just us individually, but us as a church. Those who seem like they're weak are indispensable. So do not let fear or inconvenience keep you from doing what God has called us to do. So I said, keep your finger on Matthew 25. So let's flip back there and we're going to finish this little passage. We're going to go in verse 41, chapter 25. It says this. Then Jesus will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then... Will, he will answer, Jesus will answer, saying, Truly I say to you, as you, you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Very real warning here. It's interesting that Jesus uses the sheep, those by active action, those who are taking care of the least, those are who he identifies as his. And then the ones who are identified not as his are the ones who are not doing that. My hope and prayer is that we would have eyes and hearts to see, okay, this is what we do in Christ. But I want us to be clear here. Serving the vulnerable does not save you. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that those in Christ serve the vulnerable. Faith in Jesus saves you. But faith that is actually faith cannot help but work. James 1 makes it very clear that faith without works is dead. Notice how both of these groups called Jesus Lord. 
It's not just that you can articulate doctrine, but that we do, not just hearers of the word, but that we do the word that God says. And this matters so much that he gives the warning that we wouldn't be those found on the outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is much more an invitation than a chastising. So we as a church, though, I want to be clear, are not about the vulnerable. As long as you come here, this is what we're going to be about. As long as we're here, we're about Jesus and the cross. But being about Jesus and the cross and his word means we take his word so seriously. And what this says here, and again, I want to just iterate, that because of Christ in us, we act. It's not that we act that makes us in Christ. It's because of Christ. If you serve the poor and you're a really nice person, and you still don't know Jesus, you will find yourself a really nice person in hell. What matters here is faith in Jesus. Faith in the gospel. What's cool is that Jesus calls us to do what he did. He came to us who could not help ourselves in our sin. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Guess what dead people do? Nothing. He came to us who could not help ourselves and helped us, giving us his life. A lot of us are sitting here like, yeah, but helping that group of people is like really demanding. It's like really hard. Yeah, Jesus gave his life. This is what we're called to. He who comes after me, pick up your cross. Let's go. This is what we're called to. If we identify ourselves with Christ, we cannot help but identify ourselves with Christ as he serves the least. And it's not just the least in society, but that's who we're talking about today. This mindset doesn't just go with us as we try to pair up with our ministry partners, which we're really excited about and love what we're doing. But it's not something you flip on when you go to Alongside Ministries and you flip it off when you go home. For us in Christ, we flip this on and it stays on. Our neighbors, our places of work, where we go to eat, where we go and and enjoy entertainment, where we go bowling. I don't know if anybody bowls anymore, but wherever we go, if we are in Christ, our identity is to be the embodiment of Christ, which means we care for and we love the least, the vulnerable. My hope and prayer is that we would learn what it is to to meet people who are foreign to us, invite them into being our friend, in hopes to hopefully even one day invite them into being our family. That we would have people who sit at our tables that if somebody else were to look in, would be like, what in the world are you doing? That we would have people in our lives that don't look like us, that don't come from the same walk of life, that maybe have harsh backgrounds, But it's not because we're about our comfort or we're about our safety. We're about Jesus and the cross, which means we take his word seriously. And Jesus prioritizes and was in proximity with and loves the least. That's why I wanted you to see Tom and I wanted you to see that video. And there's so many more people who are faithful in our church that are serving in these areas. And it's not just our three ministry partners. Again, there's so many other ministries we can pair up with. But those are just the ones that we're really tight with. So like I said, we're about Jesus. I can't say it enough. What Jesus says that is countercultural here is that the least are prioritized and we're called to be in proximity with them. This is good for us. We're going to move into a time of uh, response and communion. And uh, when, I, when I sit down and I take communion, I often enter into this conversation with God. I pray. And I sit there and I try to think of all the things I could be confessing because it's my opportunity to reorient myself back towards Christ because I'm always wanting to put myself towards Christ. And through the week, all these different things sway me and hit me. And and I want to, and the specific time that I take of my week is when I'm with the church that God has called me to be with. And I sit down and I say, Lord, show me the things that I'm holding on to that I should get rid of. And then I confess those. Actively, And then I even say, Lord, I'm repenting of that, that I could turn towards you. 
This is an opportunity for us to continue to do that and do it not just as an individual. Because when we take community as a group, we do it as a one body. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you gave us your word that we could know the gospel, but also hear the good news and the good words of what it means to live the gospel. Lord, I do pray that you'd work in our hearts, that we would look more like you. I do pray, Lord, that you would give us the minds to be illuminated, to care for those who you've called us to care for. And Lord, I also just pray that you would inflame our hearts to be driven towards and caring about the things that you care about. Lord, we love you, praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt
I'm also doing our benediction today. And so as I pray this over us, I pray that this goes and forms us into this week um, and that we might get to meet again next week um, and continue to do this and look more like Christ. This comes from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Thank you for being here. Uh, Go and live all life all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.